we are mobile this morning in the home of Sister Faye Shaw in Lamoni, Iowa. And Faye, thank you for agreeing to come on and talk to us. Uh, you recently had a book that came out um, called Characters Unlocked that you worked on with Mary Jo Jackal. We'll get into that and in, probably in part two, but uh, I want our listeners to know you and I go way back to a place called Temple Grove, Pennsylvania, a church campground. We sure do. It was a great chance. Uh, actually, I grew up right in that area. Sharon, and, Pennsylvania? Well, in Mercer, but the mm-hmm. same area. And helped build the camp. Oh, I didn't know I that. I wired, wired the cabins, and I think I painted every building that's there. <laughs> and, um, but so, yeah, we met at Temple Grove, and then you were in my sailing class. I was in your sailing <laughs> class, so there's a big pond at Temple Grove, and... Um, and you had to get a license to take the sailboats out on it, and I never did get my skipper's license. I always messed up some knot or something. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but anyway, you taught sailing. Uh, I told my wife the other day when the big thing to do at camp, if you liked a girl or a girl liked a boy, you'd ask them if they'd walk around the lake, and mm-hmm. that would be your little date. Mm-hmm. You want to walk around the lake with me? Then I knew you were serious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I also went to camp with your daughter. She was close to my age, and then your son was a little older. So you had mm-hmm. two two children. That's it, just two. Yeah. And your husband, Gaylord, he's passed away. What year did he pass away? Oh, my. It's been 12 and a half yeah. years. Yes. I remember him, though, being active, and he was... I remember him as just being very soft-spoken and gentle. Does that describe him? Absolutely. Gentle giant. He was yes. six seven. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, tell me, uh, this is Stories of the Saints. I want to hear your story of coming to know Jesus. And at what age did you, did you, is your first memory of him? Of Jesus, oh my. Um, Okay, Um, we didn't belong to the uh, Restored Church at the time when I was young. I didn't know that. But I remembered, uh, probably one of the first things I remember is my mom ordered, they came in the mail, it was called I Am His, I-A-H, and every week or two weeks this little like newsletter would come talking about Jesus, and I remember laying in the hammock in the backyard every time they'd come <laughs> and reading this, and that's the first time I remembered. And then um, my mom had four sisters. So there are five daughters in the family. And, uh, and one of them married a church member, Dutch Reichard. And uh, then another one married a church member, and her husband was killed at work. And when my mom went to the funeral, they talked about um, the four glories. And mom came home all excited. That makes sense. And the grandparents were beginning to realize these people are getting involved in this church, and their minister had given them papers about Mormons, and they said, I was about eight years old. They had a big family meeting, called everybody to the farm, and said, this is what this church is about, and if you have anything to do with it, we won't have anything to do with you anymore. And... They kept going, mm. and Mom was baptized at Temple Grove in the Shenango River. At that time, they didn't have the... No, it wasn't Temple Grove. It was Kandashawa before we built Temple Grove. 
Um, and mom was really quiet and shy. I was too. But she read up on the church, and I can't believe it. She had my, she went to the minister's house and handed out the pamphlets and had my brother and I wait in the car. And she went in and she tried to set him straight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then um, even before we were baptized, I was baptized when I was about 10, we went to Kirtland reunions at the temple. And that's when it really got me. Um, Who was there? Oakman, Harry Black, just wow. If I didn't turn out right, I didn't have any excuse. (laughs) Because my grandparents, too, that said they wouldn't have anything to do with their daughters and their families, they couldn't do that. It was the most loving Christian family. I, I just, I'm just in awe of the people I've had in my background. I mean, with my grandpa and grandma, if anyone was in their house at 9.30 at night, it could even be the Jewel Tea Man, they'd be all down on their knees by the chairs on the sofas offering prayers because that's what you did. Wow. And studying Sunday, Sunday school classes every morning at breakfast. And, and when he died, the funeral home said, we never had this many people come. Mm-hmm. And they tell stories about Grandpa helping them that we never heard because he wasn't that kind of person to share. So the fact that um, she heard about the the um, fact that the restored gospel doesn't teach that if you haven't had a chance to know the Lord that you go to hell or heaven, but that there's a chance and a place to learn and to mm-hmm. um, and that He's a very just God, and that was something right. new because a lot of them are hell or in fire and brimstone, and you know you either accept Christ or you don't, and that's it. That's right. And that's not that's not the act of a just loving God. No. No. Yeah. So, uh, what kind of testimonies? My mom went to the Kirtland reunion too when she was a kid because we grew up in Northwest Ohio. Okay. So um, she talks about those reunions on the oh, on the Kirtland Temple grounds. But tell me, uh, do you have any testimonies you remember when you were younger? At Kirtland or mm-hmm. at anywhere? Kirtland. <clears throat> at Kirtland, I felt the spirit so much in the temple. Oh my! And most of the hymns. We would sing in there. I'd have tears in my eyes. It was so powerful. I mean, when you listen to Arthur, when some, a lot of people say he's kind of hard to understand. At my age, I had no problems, probably because the Spirit was there. And, uh, and the Book of Mormon. I know you're going to ask me about the Book of Mormon, but my, I don't have any first memory of reading the Book of Mormon. I just remember, even at Kirtland, I'd be reading it in my tent, that or Zion Builder's Sermons by Albert A. Smith. And whoever's walking by in my tent, I'd read something nice. I could be eight years old or 80 years old. Hey, come here. I need to read this to you. <laughs> and uh, so I all, I, in, in my own mind, it's like I always loved the Book of Mormon, although I know there was a time when I didn't know mm-hmm. about it. But It became part of your soul, I guess, at an early I, age. Yeah. I was going to ask you because you've spent many many hours giving presentations and um, PowerPoints and lessons, and you've talked, you've worked with the interns at the Book of Mormon Foundation for years. So I'm hearing that you had this great Christian heritage, although not restoration, where people were praying and reading the Word. And then for some reason, you had this love for the Book of Mormon. You gravitated towards it. I sure did. I sure did. Put here for a reason, I imagine, to to do a, a work for the Lord. And wherever... I was, after that, we had Book of Mormon classes at Iowa State. We met at one of the 
um, Mary Keppel's homes. And that, uh, when I worked in the auditorium, there were about six of us that worked there. We had our own little Book of Mormon class, and we could tap on um, some of the churchmen to come and speak mm -hmm. to our class. And what was the what was the overall appeal to you of the book? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I guess because it felt so real. Mm -hmm. And the longer I've been in it, uh, I realize how much this love and the love those men had for us today is overwhelming. The writers. The writers, yes. Mm. Yeah. I woke up this morning very early and I had this thought that I wanted to go through the Book of Mormon and just study the prayers that were offered mm. by the men. And I don't know <laughs> if anyone's ever compiled them, but I thought, what should I be praying for today? And how would those prayers affect me if I was able to offer them from my lips, the same sort of things? And I know some of them were praying for their posterity, that they would come to know the true gospel. Okay, you just let into my very number one best testimony. Yes, let's hear it. Okay. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> we were still living in Ohio, and um, David, the first year, my husband brought him out to Graceland, and the second year, I brought him out. And we'd never seen the Indian mounds in southern Ohio. So I thought, I'll just swing down that way and then back up. And, uh, and my first stop was the Serpent Mound. So I drove a long ways from Lamoni to where the Serpent Mound was and stayed overnight there. And the next morning, I wanted to get there about sunrise. I kind of missed that. But the gate was closed when I got there. And so I just parked in front of the gate, and they just put fresh gravel down. I started walking in, and I heard this scrunch, scrunch, crunch coming, and looked, and here was the caretaker saying, the park's closed. And I told him how far I'd driven the day before to get there, and I said, please, you know, just let me in. I won't stay very long. And we debated about it for a while, and he said, they could tow your car away. And I laughed inside because I thought, the only thing I saw on the road out here at all was a turtle. <laughs> so I said, I'll risk my car being towed if you'll let me come in. I said, I won't stay very long. So instead of looking around, I got near the mound and I saw a lookout tower. So I went up there and I started my prayer. And I started that I wanted to connect my prayer with the prayers of the ancients wow. and pray about what they were praying about. And then, this is the only time in my whole life the Spirit took over and all the words just came out of me. For about half an hour, I would guess, and just with I would just I said them out loud just the whole time thinking, oh, I wish I had a recording for this. And so yes, I prayed the type of prayers that they prayed, you know, for the future, and I prayed for their their descendants to receive for us to take it and for them to receive. And I don't, but it was beautiful, beautiful, and. Um, so I started coming down. I wanted to look around, but I thought, I better leave. I told him I wasn't going to stay long. And as I was, I started to walk toward the gate, and I, I picked up, there was a native girl at, at camp that summer at Temple Grove, and I promised I'd bring her back something, so I picked up an acorn. And I heard some, I heard the caretaker coming behind me again, and my heart started pounding like, oh, I'm in trouble, and <laughs> it does that, you know. 
And I turned around to say, I'm headed toward the gate. And there was no one there. Mm-hmm. But my heart kept pounding, and so I, I left. And afterwards, I was so upset with myself because I know someone was there. And particularly with that powerful spirit, that mighty prayer that came through me. And for several years, well, it wasn't that long first. Um, because I have found that really tremendous experiences like that have more than one layer. And so the next time I was reading about Enos, that same spirit came over me, and I thought, oh, no, I missed Enos. I missed Enos. And uh, so I felt bad. And then we moved here, and I was working in the center on some Book of Mormon stuff, and the thought just came into my mind, which I just lost my thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's okay. No, the thought was... I missed the point of the whole experience. Enos was there to hear that prayer. Mm. Probably at a time, because he wondered, you know, if people in the future would be, you know, involved in what he was praying about. So the Lord said, okay, I'll just put you up in this little tower and you can hear this prayer. So I felt a lot better. That's... You know, it strengthened Enos. Isn't that amazing? Like, you and I didn't talk prior to this, but I I told my wife on the way here, I said, this morning I woke up and I texted my friend, Corey, I said, I woke up early this morning and and I I just was thinking about the prayers of the people in the Book of Mormon and I want to study all of those prayers and bring them together. Okay, there's more. Okay, let's listen. This is great. Okay, Um, because I was at a reunion in Oklahoma a few years back was crawling into bed, and again, all of a sudden, I realized, knowing the kind of man Enos was, he would have prayed for me. Mm. <laughs> now, tied in with that is a testimony my husband had that he didn't share with anybody. He didn't want to share it. But I thought, you're gone, and... <laughs> I'm going to tell it because I think it's important. It has to do with prayer. This orange sofa here. Uh, he was reading the Book of Mormon about Moroni being all alone. And he felt so sad for him. Really, really sad. And the Spirit said, pray for him. And he thought, I can't pray for him. He's way back there. Pray for him. Three times he was told to pray for him. So he got down on his knees and he poured out his heart from Moroni. Now God's outside of time. You know, we bless children for the future. God's there, but he's also in the past. You know, he can he can take that prayer and put it any place he wants to put it. And so this is my imagination, but I'm thinking when Gay died. Right at the front of the line was Moroni to give him a big, you know how they said, we'll fall upon each other and hug each mm-hmm. other and, and saying, thank you so much for that prayer. God put it where I really, really needed it. And so I had a friend even call me and say, can you take a picture of your sofa that shows that worn spot where your husband always prays? Mm. But, you know, 
if I had a friend that had surgery and I forgot about it until the next day, I'd think, oh, it's too late. It's not too late. You know, we can extend our prayers way beyond what we've thought of before. And this experience that Gay had proves it. Let the rocks fall Fall down on me Cover my sorrow And hide my dark deeds Let the rocks fall Fall down on me Let the rocks Where did you, I should ask you, how did you beat gay and what's that testimony? Oh, <laughs> okay. Second day at Graceland yeah. as students. Um, and we were, although he was a year ahead of me because in Canada they have 13 grades. And so they transferred him down like as if that was a first he's year. from Canada. He's from I married an international student. <laughs> and so the second day, a girl down at the other end of the hall said she had to go downtown, <laughs> downtown Lamoni. Uh, to buy some things, and I did too, so we walked down together. And coming back, she said, there's a really neat guy in our Zion's league I think he'd like to meet. And so I said, okay, and we had lunch together, and she saw him and called him over. And he, when his height, you know, he leaned over the table and looked, and he said, your eyes got so big I just fell into them, and that's how we met. Now, we dated for six years till he got a lot of education out of the way. Um, and then we married while he was still in graduate school. But yeah, one look and... Pretty instantaneous. Yeah. Well, at least we fell into very interested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I owe Graceland to the meeting of my parents, as I, I'm sure many people my age do. Yes. So was, was his background in the church, I guess, mm-hmm. in order for him to get to Graceland, his, right. his parents and things? Yes, and you know... He had been kind of sick and missed a couple grades and, you know, had to take him over and stuff. And, uh, and he wasn't that good a student. And he would tell his students this because he went on to get his Ph.D. You know, once he got, his mom said his uh, senior year, he, she said, if you do good this year, we'll send you to Graceland. So he worked hard. And he realized, well, if I work hard, I can do this, you know. And so he encourages all his students that you can do it. So he got his Ph.D. even struggling in school. Well, once he he got involved, Involved. it it was easier, you know, and he would read the books. But I, I found out this, he really didn't read any other books until I met him. And I got him reading until that's about all he would do. <laughs> <laughs> he came to love reading. Yes. What uh, Was he always interested in the Book of Mormon as well? Um, was that something you grew together? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Because I know even after I left Graceland, he was still here. I went up to Iowa because it was only two years. Mm-hmm. But right when we were here was when it went to four years. So he was here an extra year before he went to the University of Illinois. And they had a Book of Mormon class in the dorm, 
And there was he and several other guys even went down to Mexico that summer. So yes, he was too. We were a good match. <laughs> what was his PhD in? Physiology and pharmacology. Oh, wow. Yeah. Unless you pick something simple. Right. <laughs> well, and he taught pre-med people all the time, and they, he, was, he was hard, but he was fair, and he placed all of his students when they went on, even to the big universities. They all accepted his wow. students. Yeah. Now, your education, you got a bachelor and a master's, is that right? Mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. is that in? Actually, I, my, my master's was, or I'm sorry, my bachelor's was in home economics. And then my master's, we got, it was a new program in one year. They had to sign a paper at the beginning that said we wouldn't do anything else for that one year because it was 48 semester hours in one mm. year. And it was the most amazing, uh, incredible year of my life getting that and making it work. It was Crystal's senior year in high school. We'd be shopping in the mall and I'd have little cards mumbling, you know, learning what was your mom. I said, hey, <laughs> I need to know this. Um, now I forgot your question. What was the degree in, the master's? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, and then my master's was in teaching. Okay. Just in teaching. And then when I started to teach, because um, Gay had, I could go to school for free where Gay taught, I had enough that I got certified in home ec and science and art and sociology and um, vocational. And I taught in all of them, plus some extra like psychology class or something. Did you teach high school, but you also taught at Graceland? Yes. I, uh, at first I started just um, substitute teaching. And then when he came out here, that's when I got, well, I substitute taught before I got my master's. And I got my master's at the Lord's timing. I graduated the spring before we came here. And then there wasn't anything at Graceland. And so I worked as assistant director of the food service. And one of our workers said, hey, we've got an opening in our school. So I taught there. And then a couple other schools. Well, and then I took um, some time off because we went down to, I think I mentioned the reunion in Oklahoma, mm -hmm. talking to Ray and Jean Treat. And we decided I'll take some time off, and that's when I worked on and created the whole cross-reference for the RCE Book of Mormon, and then the index, too, and then Gay made the geography index. And then I started working again a few years later, uh, taught a couple more schools, and then Graceland hired me, and I taught the international students for 15 years. Uh, and there was I taught kids from, well, I hardly say kids, because some of them were older. Mm -hmm but from 30 different countries, and it was just, besides teaching them, Di Smith and I taught them, uh, we could mother them. You know, you're in a strange country, you don't know the language, and you don't know how to do things, you know, in the culture. And so it was just, so now we've got, that's why I'm on Facebook, to keep in touch with all these kids that I just dearly love. So you were uh, active with the youth, camps at Temple Grove, mm -hmm. being here in Lamoni for so long, have you um, built relationships with kids that come from all over that are members of the church that you come to know? Um, did you have relationships like that or no, not? No. Uh, other than, like you mentioned, 
from kids from families I knew. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> um, I was too involved with other things to get involved with things other than what I was doing, if that makes sense. Right. And so even now, um, I just met a lady that moved to Lamoni two years ago saying she didn't know very many people. And I said, yeah, I don't. I've got some good friends in Lamoni, and I recognize and say hi to everybody. But as far as really knowing them, I don't. Uh, it's because you're, um, you didn't have time for a bunch of social activities. You're pretty... No, well, yes and no. My, one, my two social activities are right when we moved here in 88, the whole biology department, the guys that worked there and their wives, we went out to eat every Tuesday night. We still go out to eat every Tuesday Aww. night. The group has totally changed. There's only one survivor. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, it's fluctuated in size, but we still go every Tuesday night. And every Wednesday night, I go out with uh, our couple that we're really good friends with. And uh, I found out two years after Gay died, he said, you know, before Gay died, he told us to take care of you. But we, we went out to eat with them, too. So two nights a week, I'm out eating, and um, and then I've got a Book of Mormon class every Monday night for way back. I don't even remember when. Um, Who comes to that? Well, right now, not very many. Is that here in your house? It's or? in my house. Mm-hmm. It's always been. Right now, there's just four of us. Mm-hmm. But we used we used to have sometimes lots. And there's several. What's really cool is now there's a couple other classes that are sprung out of this class. And uh, so they're going strong. And then Monday nights, I'm on another Zoom book. More, well, when I can. We were, we were off for a while because one of ours had health, really serious health problems. And so, but so I, I've presented on that one too. Tell me about the RCE edition. Um, I just, Corey really loves it. And, and we've yeah. been studying some of the interesting um, things that were put back in. I... I guess I was under the impression that Ray went back to the original documents, but mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Corey showed me the other day if the first published Book of Mormon had those in it, especially the references to like the the Son of God instead of the oh Mormon, yes. yes that those were in the original. Yes. This isn't the first time around for that to be published. Yeah, uh, right, and but yes, they did go back to the originals. The Mormons loaned or let them copy what they had to use, and then what we had at the auditorium, too, or the whatever. Um, And again, with the Lord's timing, just about that time, they understood that it's in a poetry form, which makes, I handed out one's books, and I would say, it's much easier to read, and you're going to see things in there you never saw before, because of the format. And... uh, and I know people looked in their book because they'd come back all excited. They said, I see things in there I never saw before. And I'm not, yes, yes. Right. Yeah. Well, I love it because it has wide margins. So that I can actually too. take notes. Yes, <laughs> yes. And the words of Christ in red. And we debated whether to, uh, you know, anytime you could tell whether the Lord's speaking there, um, if it should be in red. And we realized we couldn't do that. And I like the reason why. 
And I want to give you a, my own personal example of one. Uh, do you remember uh, Isabel Tennis? She was a camp nurse a lot. Mm -mm. Okay. Anyways, she settled here finally in Lamoni because her brother lived here. And she was good friends of my mom. And when I knew my mom was dying, I went to see her with a card and told her. And I said, I'll, you know, I'll write something that you want to tell her. And all of a sudden I realized I started, I started writing on the envelope or the, the uh, bag, the paper bag that the card came in because I was in a three-way conversation. Mm. She was talking to me, she was talking to my mom, and she was talking to the Lord. And it just flip-flopped between. And the same in the Book of Mormon. Uh, they say, you know, an angel told me this or something, mm -hmm. and they talk. And then you couldn't tell the fine line between when the angel stopped and whoever else it was that was speaking, which right. is the way it should be, you know? Mm -hmm. So we decided, feet on the ground, that's when we'll put the red letters in. And another thing that Gay and I won, which I really like, we didn't want to give St. Nanny honor. And we convinced them to not capitalize S in Satan. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that, but it's there. Interesting. Yeah. So the only letters in red are the ones where it's definite, obvious, yes. even though there's other words Absolutely. of Christ. Yeah. <clears throat> you, um, did you know Mildred and Delbert Smith very well? Yes, they lived here in Lamont. Yeah, oh, they yes. instrumental in, in my life. Mildred used to say something about, I think she quoted the scripture about seeking wisdom by learning and faith. Study and faith. Study and faith. Yeah. It's uh, important to use your stewardship to mm -hmm. put a lot of effort and your own time and, and not to just say, Lord, tell me this and sit in the corner. Like he rewards those who are diligent in their studies. What is that true? Tell me about that in oh, your life. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I've, I've just, you know, I've always been drawn to study. And um, the way I do it is maybe get interested in a particular topic. And one thing that when I was working on the RC cross-references, uh, I, in a way, I regret the way I did it because I didn't write down things like you are because I would just, I, I don't want to get too involved, but anyways, I would just go down the list in the concordance or in, in, in you know, pick out words, scriptures I thought were good. Um, but I'd, I'd see things that I thought, oh, I want to look into this. I didn't take the time to write because I was so focused on the job, you know, because mm -hmm. it, it took years, you know, to do anyhow. And later I thought, oh, I wish I'd have written all this down. Although I did have one, and now I see Paul Ludi's come up with something like it. And I have a little presentation on gems where just even in the concordance you read this wonderful little phrase, like Mildred Smith with her kids, th this is what was drilled into their minds, wickedness was never happiness. You'd be good kids, you know. Right. But I'd find these wonderful little phrases, just even in the concordance. And I thought, Joseph Smith couldn't have come up with all this stuff, you know. Yeah. Just, they're just too, <laughs> too wonderful. As a matter of fact, if I didn't believe in the book before I did the cross-references, I would have afterwards, because no matter how twisted and contorted and cross-referenced and going every which way, the book held solid. 
just started a class where I go to church not to not just started it's on I don't know but several months but um, one thing in the past couple of years I've seen uh, my friend Corey Stark be blessed with is the Hebrew nature of the Book of Mormon oh, I know Ray Treat did a lot oh, of that yes. but he's he's um, reading some more modern um, scholars of Hebrew who are learning more about their own language because it was kind of lost for a while and we're finding, um, well, one of the interesting things he found was uh, in Isaiah where it's like, well, why did, why did the Lord um, allow the things in Isaiah? There's certain words in there that you say, well, that's not, that doesn't fit right. But then you're finding out that that is the Hebrew meaning of that word. Mm-hmm. Um so I find that fascinating, but it's it's crazy because in this day and age, there's no truth anymore. I and, know. Oh. And I find that even Corey, uh, looking at this kind of thing proves, and I, I'm, I'm really holding off, but I want to get into this new book <laughs> because and maybe we'll just start it early. There's no way a young boy from New York okay. could do what he did. No. There's, uh, if you look for evidence... Um, I remember I had a little pigeon at my house one weekend for a Sunday school retreat for the kids. It was great. Uh, but listening to her around my kitchen table was even better. And she was telling how out in southern Iowa, or Iowa, Ohio, uh, they were building a road, and they took 50 truckloads of dirt out. And under all that, they found this board, and under the board was, I think it was a headband that had written on it, nine of the Ten Commandments. Mm. It couldn't have been authentic because, well, you know, you don't have the Ten Commandments over here, right? So they had a basement of the zoo, and if I understand right, eventually they just gave it to her her son. Um, So the thing is, just the Book of Mormon itself, I remember in 1997, they had found 97 different poetry structures and sentence structures in the Book of Mormon. And uh, that's a tremendous, you know, that doesn't happen unless it's authentic, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I had, um, Angela Cole came here for a whole month one time, and I made all her papers and stuff into presentations for her, and then she could just give the presentations. And it's just amazing, amazing. And this book, yeah, is another evidence. It's, it's authentic. You can't deny. You can say, I refuse to accept it. But you can't deny that the connection's there. Yeah, uh, and now that the scholarship in the mainstream world is catching up to learn more and more, they find out that what Joseph did, what, like, like um, 
Oh, he, he would say the, the moon gave his light or the sun gave her light, and I may have that flipped, but mm-hmm. he used a male and a female. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, ha. he got that exactly correct compared to what the Hebrew would have done back then, male and feminine. Right, right. Um, that's just one example that I can remember. But, um, well, talk to me about the mounds. What what? What significance, if people aren't familiar, do you think those have to the Book of Mormon? Okay. Um, one of my most popular presentations is He Walked the Americas, the book. And mm-hmm. I made one on it because uh, we have friends just in the next block here that have gone to Israel several, several times. And I'm thinking, but he's walked here too. So I made the presentation particularly trying to find places I could say, he was right here. And I found five, and I I know there's six one I just can't find. I know where it is, I can't find it. Six places I can say definitely, he walked across this very lagoon right here. You can see the picture. You know, he stood on top of this very mound. Well, it's more like a hill. Actually, two hills. Um, And so... Every all uh, I think most restorationists and any you know anybody that believes you know in the Book of Mormon, they want to have it be Book of Mormon people. No, I think he visited everybody. Why would he single out one group? So when you see evidence um, at Back Creek or wherever, um, it's other, and that's where he walked the Americas is about. And when I made the presentation. Uh, several, while I was doing it, several people, do you, know, do you know more about Taylor Caldwell, the author? And I said, no. And so when I was done making it all, I looked up Taylor Caldwell. And I, first of all, it's not a man, it's a woman. <laughs> and she also wrote science fiction. And I thought, uh-oh. Even though she had, I counted, 90-some references in the back for her book. And one was Bancroft, which is a volu- volumes that are, I don't know, five feet, six long I worried about it I looked further and she wrote a book about Atlantis that's kind of woo woo too right till I checked further I read actually I read one of her science fiction novels and I thought yeah like a tunnel under the sea or something Atlantis was about interviewing people that and what they thought about Atlantis I thought well that's not so far out and then with a scientist in um, uh, one of the Norwegian countries, she wrote about Pangea. And I thought, well, that's scientific. But that night after I found out, before I studied further, I was worried about it um, because we always wanted to be 100% true with all of our work. And at that time, my husband was trying to get comfortable with his cancer, and he was sleeping out in the family room when I was in the bedroom. And uh, and I was worried. In the middle of the night, I heard him come back in because the furnace is in the hall, and with his big form, when he walks through, it muffles, you know. Mm-hmm. I heard him come, and I was, I don't know whether, I, th- I think it must have wakened me, but my back was to the door. And he came in, and he knelt down by my shoulders. And I laid there for quite a while, and then I decided to turn around, even though he was still kneeling. There was no one there. Mm. 
And then I realized he couldn't because we had just gotten a new mattress because it was uncomfortable. And there wasn't, there was like a foot and a half between the bed and the wall with his long legs. There's no way he could have knelt there. And just then, and this leads into a Temple Grove testimony, which mm -hmm. I'll tell Just then, I heard this soft, gentle rain outside. And that affirmed it to me. The book was true. And so I'll have to tell you about the soft, gentle rain. Yes. Go ahead. Okay. So the first time, well, okay. The reason that I went back to Temple Grove with the kids when Crystal was like eight years old, I was thinking, you know, I've been so busy with family stuff that I don't have any really good testimonies anymore, and I want them. Where did I get them? I got them at Kirtland. I got them at camps and reunions. I'm going back to camp and reunion. Gay was teaching summer school, and particularly when science and you have to set up labs and everything, we hardly saw them, so I thought, we're going to camp. Mm -hmm. And they accepted me to come and let Crystal come even though she was underage. And yeah, I started getting testimonies again. And and in my 80-year-old age, you notice I keep forgetting where I was leading well, up Well, you to. said soft gentle rain. Oh, the soft gentle, yes. Okay. Yes. How could I forget that? And so we had a tent out where the tents are. And during that week, I had... I always have things I want to pray about. I got up in the middle of the night and went down to pray. And it was the most beautiful night. I couldn't pray with my eyes closed with all those stars mm -hmm. out in the country, you know. Mm -hmm. And as I'm praying, I, uh, I could, there's always fog there at night, moisten the ground every morning. I noticed it gathering into the center from the lake. And then it started to go up like a column. I wasn't particularly watching it per se, other than just being slightly aware while I'm praying. And then it just kind of went up and disappeared from view. And when I went back to my tent and I was zipping it back down, it was made known to me that that represented God's love and God's blessings. And it showered the whole campground. It's a very distinctive rain. And so the next morning in first service, I told him about it. But then I kept experiencing this rain. One of the next times was um, I was giving a presentation for a women's group that was meeting at Temple Grove um, after lunch, and I wanted to make sure the projector and everything was okay, so I was going over to do that. And all of a sudden, here came this rain. And there used to be a phone on the porch outside, remember? Yeah. And the lady was on the phone because I started just kind of slowly twirling around. She said, is that your rain? And I said, yes. <laughs> and again, it made me feel good about my presentation because I was kind of worried about it. And ever after that, it was there to give me assurance about things. Ray Tree came one time and he was talking at the campfire about phytoliths, little silicone nodules on the roots of plants, and he said, those are going to witness to the Book of Mormon. And I'm sitting there thinking, Ray, I think you're kind of stretching it on this one. <laughs> and all of a sudden they heard that rain again on the roof, which usually you can't hear. That's so soft. And for one baptism, as soon as we, we had prayers in the assembly or in the uh, West Lodge, and just as we stepped out to go to the baptism, there that rain was again. And until... Um, most recently, and I think because I, I don't need it anymore, but that rain would always be there 
when we did a presentation. I remember even Lamoni one time, it was January, like 19 degrees, and we came out, and here was this rain. <laughs> not snow, not ice. Yeah, rain. And, uh, and so I share it with people. I say, watch for it, because it's going to assure you and confirm things. And I saved a clipping. I could show it to you on our, in our newspaper when uh, they sailed an ancient, they rebuilt an ancient ship, the Hukalea, and sailed it across the Pacific. And when it came into the uh, um, Honolulu Harbor, the clipping said, and there was a soft, gentle rain, which according to Hawaiian tradition represents God's blessing. Mm. And I thought, they know this rain. And that night in your bedroom, you would. I had the soft oh, rain. Oh, it could be coincidence, but you you felt a presence that's so so oh, strong that you knew it was your husband, but it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I still want to know who it was and what they were praying. So that was in accordance to giving you um, authentication that this tailor maybe the. And so, what was the stuff that she presented that you found interesting? She the whole book. I have I I've, I've got extras of them if people want them. You mm -hmm. know, I have I have. A little, I'm going to call it a store, but I have some books. But she talked about mounds? No, she didn't. She talked about, she went around to all the different tribes and talked about their, she didn't even admit at the end of the book that it was Christ. She said, oh, maybe it was John the Baptist or somebody else or a Jesuit or I don't know. I don't remember what she said. But, you know, when she talks about one group, he showed the marks on his hands and um, just amazing how he, he'd bring things back to life. And it was Christ. With, and she, she had them all over the Americas and down in the South Pacific and in the North and South America. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I hate to call events. I don't mm -hmm. call them stories. You think fairy tales when you say stories. Yeah. The book is just full of them. And so some of them, it would tell you know, what tribe it was and where it was. And so I looked up where it was, and I could say, yes, he walked across this very lagoon. And he stood on this, this uh, the one pyramid. Uh, it's amazing. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. Now, how do you, when you say, well, the book of so, Okay, so you ask about the mounds. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying, yeah, that's the, you know, one reason I went to see the Super Mound. But that doesn't mean they were Book of Mormon people. They were people Christ visited. And there's a difference. And they made, because he, he did tell the people in the Book of Mormon, other sheep I have that I, I have to go to them too. Absolutely. Yes. And so when you say I knew certain places, is that based on geography or what do you base those specific places on? Because the natives told her where they were. The natives did. Yeah. Okay. And so the name of the lagoon, you know, and so I looked up on the web, and there's the lagoon. Mm -hmm. um, and so they know in their history, mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, if you were speaking to people, they, they would know where the waters of Mormon were probably a special place for them. Sure, and, yeah. sure, yeah. So she researched with the natives, and, they, and, and different groups said, this person came and visited us. Yes, and they described the person and what he did. Okay. Yeah. What, was there a certain... Um, Characteristics that were common that he did, like uh, such as healing or resurrection or anything like that. Um, he, they. I'm trying to remember now because there was 
they accepted him more than he was accepted other places, and they loved him. They would follow him when he's leaving. Mm. They'd cry when he's leaving. Uh, they just loved him. And some of them were beautiful, like in Michigan, when he was leaving, it was snowing, and it talked about the patterns that the snow made around him and things I'd like to see. It's, so these are oral um, yes. things, and, and as things happened over time, if you don't have the recorded history, then you don't have the exact uh, thing. That's why they told um, told him to bring the brass plates because they needed. And it said the people of Zarahemla kind of uh, had lost some of that knowledge because they right. didn't have the records. Right. So it's interesting. These stories still well, point to a Christ, but not a specifics. Well, and there was a consistency in a lot of them because mm -hmm. a lot of them down in uh, Tula. Um, they heard he was coming, and the women made these beautiful, like, robes with crosses around the skirts. And then other places would talk about he had these crosses on his skirts. And, and why would they have crosses? <laughs> I know. That's, uh, it's I just a fascinating. You love to. I've got the book. You need to read it. I look forward to the records if they do come forth at some time. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes.